pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's have a seat. There's something special about the conversations that we have around the table. There's a unique kind of connection that happens when we share nourishment for our bodies and the stories of our lives. Those conversations can be profound or they can be mundane, they can be funny, they can be sad. But I think no matter what, there's a special connection that happens when we are present with each other around the table. Recently, a friend of mine was telling me about a conversation at the dinner table that she had with her children years ago. She had twins who were about five years old at the time, Karis and Jack. And that evening, their conversation was about what they wanted to pray for, what they wanted God to help them with. And Jack said, I want God to change my face so I don't look mad even when I am mad. (laughs) And Karis, in true sisterly fashion, said, really? That's what you want God to help you with? Buddy, you need bigger prayers. (laughs) And Jack says, oh yeah, well, what's your prayer? And she says, to swim in the Olympics. (laughs) I think I wish more of us were like Karis, willing to pray really big prayers. But so often, we are not. We hold back on our prayers, like we're afraid to make a really big ask of God. And I think maybe we are most likely to do this when it comes to our own spiritual growth, to our transformation. I think it can seem easier to ask big things of God on behalf of other people. But when, when it comes to changes in our own hearts, It's easy to ask just small things of God. And that's probably because we know ourselves. We know all the ways we have tried to change over the years, and we know how unsuccessful we have been. And eventually we start to think that big transformation just isn't very likely, maybe even impossible. Basically, We end up deciding that there are limits to what God is able or willing to do in our lives, and we give up on the big prayers. Today we're wrapping up our series on spiritual transformation. So over the last month or so, we've been looking at how God brings change in our hearts. The theological term for it is sanctification. We've talked about how we don't earn God's love by changing, but that we change by receiving God's love. We've talked about how our spiritual transformation isn't something that we do for God, but that God does in us. We talked about how God is the one who sets the agenda for our spiritual transformation, and how he changes us in ways we never could have expected. And today we conclude by talking about how God is able to accomplish far greater change in us than we think is possible. And how when we really begin to understand what God can do in our hearts, 
we realize we're going to need bigger prayers. In our reading from Ephesians this morning, we get a great example of a bigger prayer. Paul is writing from prison to the church in Ephesus, which is a church he had begun several years earlier. And he's writing to encourage the Christians there. In the first half of the letter, Paul basically retells the story of the gospel. He says that all of history finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And in the second half of the letter, Paul reminds the community that the story of the gospel should affect how they live every part of their lives. And our passage this morning is the bridge between these two sections of the letter. It's a prayer. And in it, Paul asks God to strengthen the church there in Ephesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work within them. Paul prays for them to be rooted and grounded in God's love, for them to be able to experience how immeasurable that love is. Paul says it is a love that is wide and long and deep and tall, and it is so big that it is beyond our ability to comprehend God's love surpasses our knowledge. And so Paul prays not for the Ephesians to understand that love, but to experience it, to be filled with it. Paul prays that they and we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That is quite an ask. That is a big prayer. But Paul has a good reason for praying such a big prayer, which is that he knows how big of a God he is praying to. And we see that in the way that he closes his prayer with words of praise. He praises the God who can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. The NIV translation puts it this way, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Immeasurably more. It's not just that God can do more than we conceive of, more than we can imagine. It's that God can do so much that we can't even begin to measure how far beyond our ability to imagine what it is that God can do. That is how great the transformation is that God can do in us. It is, quite literally, hyper-transformation. Hyper is the prefix we use when there is more of something than we need. So when our thyroid works harder than it should, we call it hyperthyroidism. If we have too high a blood pressure, we call it hypertension. Someone has too much energy, it's hyperactive, hyperbaric chambers are chambers that exceed atmospheric pressure. Hyperextension is when we move a joint beyond its normal range. Our English word hyper comes straight from the Greek. And that's the Greek word that Paul uses when he talks about what God is willing to do for us. In fact, he uses it twice in just this one sentence. The English translations have a hard time capturing 
just the excess that Paul is expressing. So different translations give us phrases like God being able to do immeasurably more or exceedingly abundantly above or far more abundantly or even infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. God can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. That makes me think of the Toy Story movies. Maybe you're familiar with them from your kids or your grandkids. There's an astronaut character in the movies named Buzz Lightyear, and his sort of superhero tagline is, to infinity and beyond. (laughs) And I had never really thought about how ridiculous of a saying that is until I saw this ad for Toy Story 4. There are, in fact, four movies. And in this ad, there are these two new characters, Ducky and Bunny, and they encounter Buzz Lightyear, and Buzz does his to infinity and beyond line, and Bunny and Ducky just fall over laughing. And then they have this great back and forth, and they go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You can't go to infinity, dummy, that's impossible. He's over here talking about infinity, gonna go beyond infinity. You don't know nothing about science. At the risk of sounding sacrilegious, I think Paul sounds a little bit like Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) He is saying that when it comes to our prayers, to our hopes and our dreams and our expectations, God will go to infinity and beyond. To infinity and beyond anything that we could ask or even imagine. Those are the lengths to which God is willing to go. That is is the scope of change and transformation that God is able to accomplish in us. And that transformation is what Paul spends the rest of his letter to the Ephesians talking about. Paul knows that the infinite love of God is capable of transforming us infinitely. Paul knows that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can change us from people who lie into people who speak truth. From people who are filled with anger to people who live in peace. From people who steal to people who live lives of generosity. From people who desire revenge to people who forgive. Every single aspect of our lives can be transformed by God far beyond what we could imagine, let alone hope for. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can change us, even us, into people who reflect the image of Christ. God can transform us to infinity and beyond. But all too often, I think we respond to God a little bit like Bunny and Ducky responded to Buzz Lightyear. You over here talking about infinity? You're going to go beyond infinity? You don't know nothing about science. There are lots of reasons that we might decide that something is or that we are beyond God's ability to change. Maybe we've done something really, really wrong. Or some things really wrong. Maybe we have done something so big and so bad that it feels impossible that we could be forgiven or changed. 
Or maybe someone has done something to us, something that has left us feeling broken beyond repair. But I suspect that for most of us, the reason we don't pray bigger prayers, the reason we don't believe that God can transform us to infinity and beyond, is that we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to risk believing that God will change something in us and then not have it happen. And this seems especially true in those times when we feel like over and over we have failed. When we have been working to change something, maybe trying to be more loving or patient, kind, generous, forgiving. We've been working on it, and maybe we've even had a little bit of a streak of success, a glimmer of the kind of person we want to be. But then we mess it up. And usually we mess it up bad. And I think that it is in those moments that we're most likely to think that we are beyond even God's ability to change. And if that has ever been you, then I want you to hear this good news this morning. You cannot fail your way out of God's transforming love and power. There is no part of you that is so bad, so broken, so messed up that God cannot transform it. And there may be no person in scripture who illustrates this better than Peter. Because Peter is such a mixed bag. Sometimes he gets it so right, and then he turns around and gets it so wrong. So... Take, for example, the story we see in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking with his disciples and he asks them who people say that he is. And then he asks them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter doesn't miss a beat. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's a remarkable declaration. The first instance we have of any of the disciples really understanding who Jesus is. And Jesus blesses Peter for this declaration of faith. He says it's God's revelation that has shown this truth to him. And Jesus makes this astounding promise. He says, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So how does Peter follow that? Well, a couple of verses later, Jesus is telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die. And Peter rebukes him. Peter, the one who declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the one whom Jesus chose to be the rock of the church, Peter turns around and tells Jesus that he's got this Messiah business all wrong. And Jesus responds really strongly to him. He rebukes him and calls him Satan and says, you are a hindrance to me. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, remember what I said about building the church on you? Yeah, forget about that. You blew it. I take it back. In fact, Jesus does just the opposite. 
He continues to welcome Peter into his inner circle. He continues to walk with him, to love him, to call him the rock. And as the book of Acts shows us, God did indeed use Peter as the rock on whom he built the church. No matter how badly Peter failed, and he failed badly, he could not fail his way out of God's love. God transformed Peter's heart and life beyond what Peter ever could have imagined, infinitely beyond. But God's transforming power isn't limited to the pages of the Bible. I'm sure all of you could tell stories of God's transformation, whether it's your own or others. And I want to share two of them this morning. Two very real stories of God's ability to change people's hearts far more abundantly than they ever could have imagined. The first story is that of Tom Terrence. Some of you may know this story. You may even know Tom himself. Tom lives in the D.C. area. He's a former pastor, a former director of the C.S. Lewis Institute, He's also a former member of the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. In 1968, Tom was caught by the FBI with a bomb that he was planning to plant at the home of a Jewish businessman and civil rights leader. He was convicted. He spent eight years in prison, three of them in solitary confinement. And in addition to being a virulent racist, Tom was a voracious reader. And so to pass the time in prison, he read. His first year, he continued to read all of the things that stoked his hatred and his anger. But then he started reading other things. He read the Greek philosophers, and eventually he read the Bible. And what he read caused him to really examine his life. And he said, eventually, the light came on. And I found myself knowing that I needed the grace of God and the forgiveness of my sins. For the first time, what Jesus did on the cross became really precious and personally important to me. Tom Terrence's heart and life were utterly transformed by God. So much so that when Frank Watts, who was one of the FBI agents who helped convict Tom came to see him in prison, Tom threw his arms around him and embraced him. And Frank Watts said, at that point, I knew in my heart that there was such a thing as a born-again experience. And it was in part through Tom Terrence's conversion that Watts himself eventually became a Christian. And even years after Tom was released from prison, he and Frank Watts would talk weekly and visit each other regularly. Eventually, Tom would pastor a multiracial church in D.C., and he served in many other ministry capacities as well. And even now, he writes and speaks about the ways that God transformed his life doing infinitely more than he could have ever asked or imagined. Tom Terrence's story is a particularly dramatic one. 
But even when God's transformation isn't quite that dramatic, it is still life-changingly profound. That's what I've seen in the life of a friend of mine, who I will call Susan. From her young childhood and well into her adulthood, Susan experienced abuse and transgressions that wounded her in the deepest and most indelible ways. And often she responded to her pain in ways that were understandable, but that ultimately amplified that pain. But somehow through all of it, Susan couldn't ever quite manage to turn her back on God. And in the last 12 years in particular, she has actively turned toward God to seek relief and healing from her pain. And what she has found is that God has done so much more than what she asked him to do. God has relieved her pain, but God has also shown her other parts of her life that needed God's healing. And he has brought healing and wholeness to those areas too. It's taken time and it has been a hard, hard journey, but it has been so real. And I asked Susan to describe what God's transformation means to her. And this is what she wrote. When thinking about the kind of transformation God offers, here's the hope I have. That in the midst of the change that we are outright asking God to orchestrate, those areas of trauma or dysfunction or loss in which we desperately know our need, God also can and will transform in us that which is still unknown to us, that which we cannot see because the blinding burden of our pain is so great. Because of this, transformation has become, for me, less about doubting that God will do what I already believe God capable of. Rather, it's opening myself to the possibility that God will do perhaps is already doing, a work that has yet to even cross into my consciousness. It is a reassuring response to my my pain. Behold, I am doing a new thing. God can and does and will do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. God can and does and will work in us even the transformation that we don't know we need. It's been true in my friend Susan's life, and it is true in each of our lives, too. But sometimes it helps to have a reminder. And so as you leave today, you will each get one of these keychains, and it has on it the symbol for infinity. It's a reminder that God can do infinitely more to transform your heart than you can ask or imagine. So I invite you to carry it with you on your keychain or to place it somewhere where you will see it. And when you find that you are feeling that the transformation that you long for might just be impossible, then you can remember. You can remember Peter. You can remember Tom Terrence. You can remember my friend Susan. You can remember that God transformed them. 
and that even now, in ways that you may not know, God is transforming you. And so with Paul, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in Christ's love for you, that you would be strengthened in your inmost being by God's Spirit, that you would experience the breadth and length, the height and depth of God's love, and that you would know that God has already and will continue to work in you infinitely more than you can ask or imagine. Thanks be to God. Amen.